Hey, hello everyone. It's good to be here with you. I'm so glad that I could be here and I'm glad that I could, uh, you could be with us online as well. Uh, I've just returned from vacation and my family and I were away and we had a great time. As a matter of fact, two weeks ago, uh, Kelly and I were walking on the beach. Uh, not that I'm remembering that, but, uh, but we were. Uh, I've got a pic uh, of our dog, Bella who was with us. Bella's a six-month-old retriever, and uh, Bella knows retriever and fetch is in her DNA. And so uh, as we were walking down the beach, we would be throwing her toy up ahead. She would run and grab it and bring it back, and it was up and down the beach, throwing the toy, bringing it back, throwing the toy, bringing it back, throwing the toy into the waves, watching her search through the waves to find it, bringing it back over and over and over again until one time uh, we, I threw it out into the wave and the wave crashed over it and it's a floating toy. It was supposed to float to the surface and it didn't. And Bella looked for it, I looked for it and we couldn't find it. And we're like, oh well, so we started walking home, both of us a little sad for that. And uh, sure enough, just a few minutes down the beach, here comes her toy floating up into the wave. And that was her when it came back up. Uh, you can see. Uh, so, you know, Bella doesn't know this, but uh, we know that what happened was her toy got caught in a riptide. And what goes on in a riptide is that there is a current that is flowing underneath the current that's on top. And while the wave seemed to want to push the toy forward, what happened was the toy was sucked under, pulled out to sea, and then eventually the current brought it back up to shore. And so, as we begin the series, we're calling it Underlying Conditions, and if I had been at the beach when we had picked the title, it might have been Riptide would be another title that we could have used, because as we begin this series, we're going to uh, talk about the current that kind of is flowing underneath what is up on the surface. There's these things that happen in our life, things that are underneath. We've heard this word often in COVID season because there are health conditions uh, that make fighting illness and uh, more difficult and more dangerous. But for our purposes in this series, we're going to be looking at things that are happening below the surface of life. Sometimes they're unseen. Sometimes, though, they're very clear and obvious. But when stress or trauma is inflicted on us, these underlying conditions make it difficult to deal with the presenting issue. And so um, that's what we'll be talking about over these next few weeks. Now, without question, this season has been the greatest widespread hardship the world has seen in a long time. And I would maybe argue it's the hardest it's ever been ever. Uh, the degree of physical illness and the financial destruction, the, the political and social divisions, the mental distress that people have experienced is overwhelming, and it is a shared worldwide experience, and it is really nothing short of tragic. And, you know, I was thinking yesterday, as I'm sure all of you were, as we were reflecting on 9-11, which could be the single greatest hardship experienced in one single moment that we've experienced in history, in our lifetimes at the very least. But 9-11 was different in, in at least one way. Uh, one simple difference that I see is that 9-11 was a tragic moment captured in time. And all of us were reflecting yesterday, where were we in that moment? While COVID has been a tragic season filled with personal tragic events over time. And so while there's this collective shared experience, there's also this personal trauma that we've experienced as well. 
But what's the same is that as the church, like on 9-11, if you remember 20 years ago, I remember being in my church. It wasn't this church at the time, but being in my church and people were, were calling and emailing and, and coming to the church, looking to their faith for answers. In the same way, we need to hear the hope that we have in the midst of trouble. That even in the worst experience, that we can be comforted by the truth that God is near to the brokenhearted. That we can be reminded of how God's word has guided us to respond to the world, even a broken world like the one we're living in. And that as the church, we need to point to the hope that can be found in Jesus no matter where we are, no matter what's going on in life. And remind each other and remind others of how God can be a guide for us. And that God is a comfort during these times of brokenheartedness. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at stories of Jesus, how Jesus engaged people, uh, how he addressed deeper issues, and what we're calling underlying conditions. So I want to jump right in. It's going to be up on the screen. It's in the New Living Translation, and it's from John chapter 5. And so John's writing this gospel, and he records this story. He says that Jesus was inside the city, and Jesus was near the sheep gate, and near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda. And it had five covered porches and crowds of sick people. John tells us they were blind, lame, or paralyzed, and that were laying on these porches. And one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him and knew that he had been ill for a long time, he asked him a question. Would you like to get well? So there's crowds of sick people all gathered together in this one place. It was like this ancient trauma ward in a sense. And John tells us that they were blind and they were lame and they were paralyzed. And in the ancient world, any of these conditions was a death sentence. This was a crowd gathered with no independence. And in the first century, there is no assistance beyond what someone else can provide for you. There's no control without some sort of assistance. There's no control of their, over their own lives. See, people will be brought to this pool and they'd be laid there or placed there or left there, hoping for something. This story so connects with our current circumstances. In response to worldwide suffering, our instinct as human beings is to become fearful. It's this fear of feeling out of control. And you hear it in people's conversations. that You hear things like, man, things are just spinning out of control for me. Or, I feel trapped. Or, I'm feeling as if I'm unable to move forward. Or simply, I feel paralyzed. And when these feelings of, feelings of out of control or these feelings of fear come, it's comforting for us to hold someone else responsible. Because then we can feel like, well, maybe it can be prevented next time. Somebody has to be the reason for why this is happening to me. 
That's one of the challenges what we're currently facing in our world is the simplest of answers is that nature just is nature. Viruses, earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes. I mean, viruses just are because nature just is. Uh, tectonic plates suddenly shift and cause earthquakes. Weather patterns cause tornadoes and hurricanes. And I know I'm simplifying the reasons here, but nature is constantly evolving. There is no one at fault. There is no one to blame. And throughout this, no matter how strong your faith is, no matter how strong my faith is, we each have had at least these moments of anxious thoughts, these moments of fear-based living. It started out early on, you know, 16, 18 months ago, however long it's been, of people hoarding toilet paper, right? Did you ever think we'd be hoarding toilet paper, right? It seems like such an unnecessary thing to hoard, I guess, until you need it, right? Uh, sorry, that's on, that's on video now. Uh, but we are all capable of forgetting that there are promises and there are commands of God when we are tested by hardship, and so we end up leaning towards the fear. And this is why underlying conditions can be so damaging to life. Did you see how this story this story setting so easily connects, so easily translates into our current experience. We all of us are together. We're all gathered in this, and we have this feeling of loss, this feeling of losing control, this feeling of being trapped, this feeling of blindness, not knowing what's ahead, this feeling of lameness or paralysis of, I just don't know how to move forward in this. And so Jesus approaches a man who has been sick for 38 years. He's been living in this existence. 38 years of feeling out of control. 38 years of fear. 38 years of feeling trapped and paralyzed. Just a side note, I would love to know. I don't have an answer. Why did Jesus approach this man and all the crowd that's gathered there? But the scripture says that when Jesus saw him and knew that he had been ill for a long time, he asked him a question. Would you like to get well? Jesus asked a man who's been sick for 38 years if he wants to get well. On the surface, that just seems like a foolish question, doesn't it? But maybe it's not as foolish as it sounds. This man has been living a way of life for 38 years. And healing is going to bring something new and something different. And if he is cured, he would have to begin to live a different way of life new and different challenges. Certainly not paralysis, certainly not blindness, certainly not being lame, we don't know his condition, but certainly not those things, but there will be other challenges. And so Jesus asks him, would you like to get well? Just a side note, I love Jesus's politeness in this, right? I mean, he never forces himself on anyone. 
That's difficult. I know I often, I know I, I, one of the things, I was a, I was a, um, uh, majored in counseling, even got my master's in counseling. And what I discovered is I'm not a good counselor because what I want to do is tell people what to do. I'm not polite in that way. I'm really good at saying, here's how you fix it. Do this. One, two, three, four. There you go. See you next week. That's not what a good counselor does. That's not what a good therapist does. I know that I'm not good at that. I don't. I'm not polite. If I had the gift of healing, I'd just go around and healing people. Jesus is polite. He never pushes himself onto anyone. And so he says, would you like to get well? And the man responds. I think it's going to be up on the screen. I can't, sir. And here we get to the underlying condition. I can't, sir. For I have no one. I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Now let's talk about the bubbling water real quick and we can move on from there. The belief was that the water was bubbled up because there was an angel that would come down and cause the water to move. What really was going on is this pool had an underground stream, uh, a spring that flowed up and on occasion it would cause the water to stir and the ancients believed that that stirring was caused by angels and if someone were to go into the pool, they would be healed. Now, this sounds very superstitious, but this was a typical first century world belief. And let's not be too unkind to the ancients, because I'm sure that if Facebook existed back in the first century, there would have been a post floating around about, uh, on social media about if you share the bubbling water video with 10 other people, you'll be blessed yourself. <sighs> Ain't that the truth? But Jesus asked the question. He says, would you like to get well? And in asking that question, I would suggest that he's revealing what is beneath the surface. On the surface, this man is blind and lame or paralyzed. On the surface, his difficulty or challenge is his lack of control over his own life. On the surface, he's sick. And he's been sick for 38 years. It is his life. And he tells Jesus, I have no one. He doesn't say, I can't because I'm paralyzed. He doesn't say, I can't because I can't see. He says, I can't because I have no one. Maybe that's why Jesus engaged this man among all the sick in the crowd that day. Maybe Jesus was seeing below the surface. Maybe he was seeing the underlying condition. Maybe he saw what others had not seen, that this man was the one with no one. He had no one. And here we are in the midst of this world of fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of disease and illness, fear of death, fear of what might be next. Fear for a new school year. Fear for what it might be like when I return back to the office. And if you have no one, all the fears and all the uncertainties of life are compounded. They're greater. Maybe even insurmountable. So really, it's a simple thought. This morning, Jesus asked a question. 
And the response to that question revealed the underlying condition in this man's life. And it led to his healing. Jesus then said this. He said, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. So here's my thought today. I think each of us holds a responsibility in the trauma that we're experiencing in this season, especially during this time. We have a responsibility to love our neighbors like we love ourselves. So simple, so profound, and you hear us say this often. Love God, love people. Or we talk about that this is for the sake of others. And we say this often, and we say this always because it is the essence of Christianity. I mentioned this a few years ago uh, that uh, historians back in 100 AD uh, suggest that there were about 7,500 followers of Christ in uh, one, around 100 AD, about 7,000 Christ followers in 100 AD. By the mid-300s, 200 years later, there are over 30 million. Then in 200 years, it went from 7,000 to 30 million. Now, during that time, there was a smallpox or possibly measles plague, and it lasted for 25 years. A pandemic that lasted for 25 years. And almost one-third of the population of the Roman Empire died. During the same time, that Christ followers went from 7,000 to 30 million. The Christian church grew exponentially. And when historians have looked at why would this be the case, they turn to the second century writer Tertullian, who was a priest in Africa. And he noted that those who were not Christ followers we're looking at how Christ followers were living. And his comment was quite simple. In the midst of all the trauma, in the midst of all that was going on in the world, he said that those who were not Christ followers looked at Christ followers and said, see how they love one another. It was so distinctly different. It was so otherworldly that people began to follow this new fledgling church that went from 7,000 to 30 million. Exponential growth. So simple. So profound. Love God. Love people. But here is the rub to all of this. See, we can't love without knowing. And we can't know without engaging. See, the underlying condition we may be facing, if we look below the surface, is the condition of isolation. For some of us, that means we have no one. There's no one to lean on. There's no one to help us. And that struggle is real. But maybe that's not you. Maybe here in this room, maybe here online, 
you would argue and say, I've got someone. I am connected. I don't live in isolation. So my challenge then is this. What if the most value that we can bring to others is to simply ask the question, how are you? I know that seems so simple and so almost as foolish as asking someone who's been sick for 38 years if they'd like to get well. But I don't mean a flippant hello, but I mean a real and honest, do you want to get well? How good does that feel when you can look at someone and you know they're not just saying, hey, how are you doing? But they are saying, hey, how are you doing? To intentionally take responsibility for someone else's condition. So my challenge is this. Will you be someone, someone? Will you be someone's someone. There is such great value in others knowing you and you knowing them. See how they love one another. And this may be, this can, this can apply at work, this can apply at school, this can apply in your homes. Will you be someone's someone? See, on the surface of our lives, there are these waves and these currents and these, and these conditions, things like pandemics and things like divided politics and hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes. And it's happening to all of us and it's all around us and it seems overwhelming and it is overwhelming in so many ways. This has been going around social media, a writer, Damian Barr, uh, I think he said it sometime in August, and you've seen it on social media, it's been a meme, it's not on the screen, just hear it, he says this, he says, we are not all in the same boat, he says, we are all in the same storm, and I thought, ah, that, that's, that's really pretty clever, he's right, we're not all in the same boat, we're in this storm together, but we have different boats, he says, some of us are in super yachts, while others just have one oar, I thought, that's so profound, that so speaks to the underlying conditions that we may have in life. Because they're compounding our feelings of being out of control. And for those of us who are feeling isolated, for some it's forced isolation, for others it's choosing to be isolated. And if you have someone, you're one of those enduring this storm in a super yacht. And if you do not have someone, you're navigating with just one oar in the water. Some of the challenges, find your someone. If, you're, if, you're, if, if you feel alone, seek those around you. Say, hey, I, 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 I need help in this. I need someone to talk to. And if you're not that person, I would challenge you to be someone, someone. It may be a phone call and saying, hey, how are you? I haven't heard from you. How are you? are you? And I know that addressing what's below the surface is scary, and it's real, but it's also life-changing. It may be joining a small group this season. Maybe you say, hey, I've done that. It didn't work for me. But isolation only makes our current reality that much more difficult, maybe even impossible. So you can email me at rick at meethope.org and, and uh, I'll get you connected and how to find a small group. 
Maybe it means volunteering to help with cleanup and recovery nearby. Maybe that's how you can be someone, someone. You know, you, I am physically fit. You know, I heard recently uh, there are people who are saying, hey, I've got a chainsaw. And they're like loving, helping people take down trees because of the recent tornadoes. Maybe that's you. Being someone, someone. Maybe you say, hey, you know, I'm blessed financially and I just want to be able to help someone that way. Be someone's someone. The band's going to play for us now.